Well, it really is about love, isn't it? It's not just this weekend. But as you look at life and relationships and faith, it's about love. But whenever you add the human component, then you always have to add and forgiveness. Because it never goes quite like we'd like it to. There's always some level of someone being hurt or disappointed. It's never perfect, at least the way it is in our fantasies. So if we're going to talk about love, we've also got to talk about forgiveness. And one of the unique Jesus stories I want to address this morning comes from Luke chapter 7. Luke 7 is a fascinating text. For, for many of you, the heading in your Bibles at verse 36 will be, Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. It either makes you want to read that text or not read that text. And as you look at that, you go, why is she just known for that one thing? Like, why, why would we assign a value or a label that she is the sinful woman? Well, let's do a narrative overview of the story, because it really is a unique story. It goes like this. Well, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, and he was reclining at the table. A woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating there. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him. Remember, he was reclining, not on a chair, but they would be on their elbows with their feet behind them. And so she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. Now, when we're in church and we read a story like this, I mean, look at your faces. It's like, this is a funny story. It's a weird story. Put yourself in the picture. Here is Jesus. He's invited to an official dinner party. It's obviously a group of men, formal religious leaders. And here comes a woman who wasn't invited. She's a party crasher. Now, I'm looking over the audience going, I wonder how long it's been since you've crashed a good party. Some of you, I bet it was the 80s. I mean, just look at you. I'll bet it was the 80s since you've crashed a party. Some of you are going, I don't think I have. And a few of you are going, don't look at me. It wasn't that long ago for me. I see a couple. They're on this side, by the way. So we have a woman who's a party crasher who comes in uninvited. And she comes and doesn't sit in the corner quietly. She comes and stands behind Jesus, makes her presence known. And what does she do? She brings perfume. Now, guys, women always wished we smelled better. And they probably have a point. I mean, sometimes I'm around guys and go, mate, you should smell better. But if you notice, men and women appreciate very different smells. I mean, if we were to have gone yesterday to any mall, you don't find very many men in the candle store. Bob, smell this one. It just doesn't happen that much. So she brings her perfume. She stands behind Jesus. And what does she do? She's not quiet. She begins to weep, not cry, weep. Now, women, you know that's the surefire way to make a man uncomfortable. Just start crying. And we know you know that, and we know that sometimes you use it against us. By the way, level of laughter, level of guilt usually go together. So just note that. And so terribly uncomfortable. 
I don't know what it is about me, but because of what I do, people are always crying around me. As a matter of fact, Thursday in my office, four people cried in my office. And typically women, so sometimes men. But when women are crying, I decided a long time ago there's no sense in just one of us being uncomfortable. So I decided if there's a woman who's crying in my presence, I stare. <laughs> Two reasons. One, that way we're both uncomfortable. And secondly, I've discovered that the more I stare, the shorter she cries. So it works for both of us. So here she is, the party crashers there, and she's weeping, standing behind Jesus. But not only that, she lets her tears fall on his feet. And of course, in that cultural setting, her hair would have been pulled either back or up and would have been covered with a scarf. So what does she do? She takes the scarf off, lets her hair down, and starts to wash his feet with her hair. This is just a weird story. I don't care where you're from. This is just a weird story. A party-crashing woman who brings perfume starts crying, washes his feet with her tears, but she doesn't stop there. She starts kissing his feet. Now, come on, let's just honestly do this again. How long's it been in a public setting where someone starts kissing your feet? Unless you're Rex Ryan, it doesn't happen that often. Sorry, I'll repent for that one later. For those of you who don't follow NFL, Jets coach. Um, so this is just a strange story. And then she pours perfume on his feet. Now, no matter where you're from, this is what you call an awkward situation. So in this awkward situation, it's obvious everyone is uncomfortable. Because you remember what kind of woman she is. And everybody knows. We know those kind. We know those kind. And it's always funny when we assign value to someone like they don't belong with us. Should never happen in settings like this, either the kind that Jesus was in or here among us. But sometimes it happens. We assign value based on one aspect of someone's life. And so what does Simon, the man who invited Jesus, do? He starts to be bothered by this whole thing. And so he says to himself, beginning in verse 39, he said, If this man, Jesus, were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And this is the classic Jesus story for a number of reasons. First of all, Jesus is masterful at including those people that others don't include. Secondly, he takes an uncomfortable situation and puts a teaching truth right in the middle. And the third thing that makes it a classic story is he asks a question. So what he does, he says to Simon, Simon, I want to tell you something. Go ahead, teacher. Jesus said, two men owe a certain money lender money. One owes 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither one of them can afford to pay him back the money. So he cancels both debts. And he asks this great question. Which one of them will love him more? There's the question. Because, see, it's always about love. Which one loves him more? Simon said, well, of course, the one who had the bigger debt. Come on, that just makes sense, doesn't it? It does. But as we go throughout the rest of this text, let's look at what that means. Look at what comes next. Again, picture yourself here in this setting. Jesus turns towards the woman, but he talks to Simon over here. 
And he said to Simon, you see this woman? Of course, you can't miss her. She's made a scene. He said, when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she has wept my feet with her te- she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, so, mean, you didn't give me a kiss. I mean, all the way from the ancient Near Eastern tradition to Middle Eastern tradition now, when men greet, they greet, they kiss each other on both cheeks. He said, no, you didn't even give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put any oil on my head to refresh me. She's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, her many sins have really been forgiven. You see, but if she's free, and you're not, she's been forgiven, for she loved much. The one who's been forgiven little loves little. Now, most of the time in church, we would pause and focus on forgiveness. And it's part of the text. But Jesus keeps bringing this story back to who really loves. Let's deal with the forgiveness part, because it's a part of this text. With forgiveness. It's about offering forgiveness. We want to frame this out for you. It's about receiving a release. It's about being released in the sense of freedom that comes. Just a couple of years ago, I get a call from one of my good female friends. She's been a part of a mentoring network. She goes, Martin, did you watch Oprah today? I said, you know, I I happen to miss Oprah today. And she said, I thought so. It's so good, you've got to see it. uh, I've already ordered the DVD. It's being overnighted to you. Promise me you'll watch it in the next three days. Because of my respect and love for her, I decided to do it. So I pop in Oprah. I've got some popcorn in case I don't like what's going on. I can throw it at the screen. It helps. So I'm watching Oprah, and she has seven people all telling the story of being hurt. These happened to all be seven women, and they were telling about the dreadful stories of their life, who had hurt them, um, the dreadful things, including abuses of numerous sorts. And at every turn, after listening for just a short time, Oprah would say to them, well, you know you have to forgive. And every person said, yeah, but you don't understand this. She goes, no. The issue is, if you don't forgive, you'll never be released. And that person, that incident, that situation will always have control over you. If you're unwilling to forgive, you'll never be free. And I'm sitting there going, Oprah, you go, girl. You get this. I'm going, Oprah, you're getting this one better than we get it in church sometimes. Because it's about releasing and being released. It's what forgiveness is about. It's the best way to describe it and understand it. It's the release. One of the reasons this woman in Jesus' story could be so free is she had been released. And so with unguarded abandon, she was willing to even look foolish. Because she was so free. So free. So let's frame it. Because the experience of being forgiven is about feeling. It's about being forgiven. The sense of feeling it, accepting it, actually welcoming this freedom. The experiential component. See, sense, hear, feel. All the way across all of the sensory motifs. 
acknowledging that this is actually your stage of life, but then also remembering what you're free from. As part of our leadership networks that we do, we run people through a battery of assessments and tests. But one of them is always the 16PF. 16PF is clinical personality profile, 16 personality factors. The great thing about it is it only defines personality for you. The weakness of it is it's only about personality. It doesn't give you all the credit um, that you've changed. But the great thing is that personality is established by the time you go to school, which is one of the reasons when you see the kids up here, as Goodwill Church, we're committed to the development of these kids because it makes such a difference. And we want to give them the best shot they can have towards becoming good adults. Well, the first time I had my 16 PF done, I got it back. And there were three paragraphs that just made me look so bad. Like, I am never depressed. I was depressed. Like, it, it made me look dreadful. And I was thinking, on one hand, I can't wait to get home to show it to Diana. On the other hand, I don't want to go home, because what if it's all true? So I get home and I show it to Diana. There's three paragraphs. I have them highlighted, and I ask her to read it and give a response. She reads it. She looks up at me, and there was this dreadfully long silence. She said nothing. Come on, say, say something, please. And she just looked at me and didn't say anything. And then finally she spoke, and she said, Martin, apart from Christ, this is what you're really like. And then she didn't say anything else for a long time. And then she said, if ever you don't walk with him, this is what you'll be like again. I remember. I remember. But I also remember what it's like to be free. It's so different. And it's such a marked contrast between the, the narrative of the woman and the narrative of Simon. Because, you see, Simon kept score, and in his mind, he won. In his mind, he was better. He had his own scorecard. And he got points for all the good stuff he did. So he was comfortable with his own stuff, and he took his stuff for granted. So what happens, and it happens to all of us, is we come to a place like this, and we create a religious spirit. And the religious spirit says, you're doing okay here. You're doing okay here. You've hid this one pretty well. And we're going we're gonna to give you some points because you weren't as bad as you could have been. And we create a religious spirit. And whether we actually evaluate and critique other people still pops in our head. Because there is a score sheet and you have to win. And he forgot that the grace of God was for other people, not just him. Come on, we're, we're like that sometimes. We love it when the grace of God comes to us in full measure. It's like, Phew, I'm so glad I don't have to pay for that one. But then when somebody else gets it, we're, we're a little annoyed. Like, they, they shouldn't get off that easy. They're, they're not nice people. Maybe they're even one of those kind. And you know those kind. And he forgot that it was really about love and forgiveness because of the religious spirit. See, it really is about love. The Old Testament, 
The Old Testament law starts off with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, your neighbors, yourself. When the teachers of the law asked Jesus in the New Testament, what's the greatest of all the commandments? What did Jesus say? We're going back to that one big one. It's about loving God with all your heart. There's a place called Camp of the Woods. It's about three hours north of here, the Adirondack Mountains. It's had a good ministry for well over 100 years. I've spoken there on numbers of occasions. Just a few years ago, I was there speaking, and there was a guy came up to me. He says, Martin, I've got a campfire at my place. I want you to come tonight. And I said, mate, I can't be there till at least 11, maybe afterwards. He goes, that's okay. He said, that's actually pretty good. The kids will be asleep. Um, come, we'll have a bunch of people around, and you can talk to us. So it was actually about 11.20 by the time I got there. As I got there, not only had the kids gone, but apparently the women were bored and they left too. So there was 12 men sitting around a campfire. They were carrying on talking. I stepped into the campfire and sat down. They didn't stop talking. I thought, this was a pretty meaningless conversation. Don't know how long I'm going to sit here. And finally, the guy who invited me stopped and he said, Guys, we can have this conversation anytime. It's not very often that we get someone like Martin here. And I'm going, what does that mean? Someone like Martin. So he said, here's what we want. Martin, we want to give you, we want to have you give us the secret to go into the next level of the spiritual life. I'm going, there's a secret? Like, no, nobody gave me the secret. What is the secret? And I thought, do I give them what they want or do I give them what they need? And I thought, I, I'm never accused of being too kind. <laughs> so I decided to give them what I thought they needed. So I said, guys, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask one question. It's an evaluative question. That way we know what we're working with. So here's the question. Do you love God with all your heart? And your answer can only be one word. It's either a yes or a no. No discussion. Are you ready? Pointed to the guy that I didn't know. I said, you start. Put his head down. He said, no. Next guy, no. No. A yes. I went, oh, good. We've got one. No. No. Next guy starts to talk. I said, no talking, talking boy. It's either a yes or a no. And everybody knows if you start clarifying, the answer is really no. So is it a no? He goes, no. Okay, so we go on around, only had one yes. And I stood up and I said, there's no sense in having a conversation with you about secrets of the next level. Here's the deal. I'm leaving now. I'll be back here tomorrow night at 11. Whatever it takes for you, fast, pray, get on your face, do the Old Testament thing, pluck out your hair, beard, rip your clothes, do whatever it takes. In 11 hours, I'm going to be back here. If the answer is yes, you love God with all your heart, I'll see you tomorrow night at 11. I walked off. It was about 30 yards away, and I thought I heard somebody. And a guy comes up and puts his arm around my shoulder. He said, I just keep walking, Martin. He said, I, I don't know if you know who's back at that fire. And I said, no, I only knew one guy. He said, he said, I was just looking around the circle as soon as you left. He said, they're a little annoyed with you, by the way. And uh, he said... Everybody around that circle is at least a millionaire. Most of them several times over. And there's probably at least two that are in excess of 50 million. I said, and your point is? 
And he said, I don't know if you thought about it. They could fund your ministry at a really high level. And I stopped and looked at him. I said, do I look to you like the kind of guy who would sell a soul for a few million? I said to him, you can't come back tomorrow night. You need two days. <laughs> I said, there's something wrong deep in your soul, mate. You, you, you need two days. I went back at 11 o'clock the next night. It was fun. There are 11 there. We went around the circle. Confidence. Yes, 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 yes. I said, okay, now we got something to work with. That conversation went on to almost 2.30. We had the kind of conversation you dream of having with men, but you never get to have. Had a lot of thank yous from women and some teenage sons. It really is the question, isn't it? No sense in having any other conversation. Because if the answer is not yes, go home. Go home and get this right. Because it is the question. Because see what happens if not, you create a religious spirit. You create boundaries in which you win. You feel better about yourself. The scorecard comes in your favor. In actuality, you redefine what success and faith really is. See, a spirit of religion simply seeks to substitute religious activity. It's the scorecard with the power of the spirit in your lives. The, the problem with the religious spirit is you're never free. You're just not quite as bad as those other people. Life's too short to live one of those. And you're smart enough to know that. I promise you are. Let's wrap it up. You see, the marked contrast was between somebody who had a scorecard and somebody who was absolutely free. They were free and full and they could feel it. And it it was uncomfortable for the people around them because with this loving authenticity, they were able to express it with complete abandon. And it's just uncomfortable for people around you. But boy, does it make a difference. It makes such a difference. So let's honestly identify whatever junk is there, whatever scorecard we've created, Let's identify it. And then let's enter a no hiding, no lying, no excuse, no blaming, and no whining zone. Because when we do those things, everybody knows we're a loser. But you're trying to redefine it so you feel okay. This week I had to give a a devotional. I always love those, which means you're supposed to say something meaningful in five minutes or less and not make anybody uncomfortable. I get invited to do those a lot, which is interesting because I'm not very good at them. But this was an interesting group. I think there were 30 people in the room. Everybody was a president or CEO. That was their, t their title. And beyond their titles, I didn't know much about them. But I decided I only had a few moments. These were people who made decisions that affected other people's lives. 
and they affected multi-million dollar budgets, many of which had great impact on the kingdom. And so I gave them this one question. If you're the people who make the decisions, and you've risen to this place where people have validated you as a leader, it's time to make sure you've got God's validation on your life as well. So let's just put up. Do you love God with all your heart or not? And if not, get out of here. I have no authority. I just talk big. Get out of here. They were nervous, and it was okay. But there was one guy there in particular who was in his organization president. I didn't know this at the time. I found out later that his ministry responsibility was to supervise 16,000 churches around the world. 16,000. The, the budgets were huge. And he actually called me that afternoon and he said, Martin, I need to talk to you. He said, when you ask us that question, he said, I know the right answer. But I'm not sure I experienced the right answer. He said, I know what to say. I know what the answer should be. But I'm looking at my soul going, it's not, it's not true in me. And then he said, I'm the scorecard guy. I keep track. And in my mind, I'm a good guy. And somehow you asking that question held up a mirror to me. And I got a chance to see my own soul. And I didn't like what I saw. I said, are you going to thank me somewhere along the line? He goes, not yet. And I said to him, hey, thanks for your honesty. Because my sense is all of us get into the trap sometimes of the scorecard and forget that the simplicity of this thing, the absolute simplicity, is that one great question. Do you love God with all your heart? If the answer is yes, embrace it with everything you have. If not, then whatever it takes, literally whatever it takes, get it, get it soon, get it now. Because the alternative isn't that great. And what you miss is amazing. For those of you who have a little more problem with guilt than some of the rest of us, for those of you that sort of know nothing's ever enough, here's what works for you. Don't evaluate. Don't look at your last week or your last month or your last year. Simply draw a line and say, God, can I be one of those people? Can I be one of those people who day in and day out, first thing I do is when I look up and go, God, please, today, can I be one of those people who loves you with all my heart? And then on your bad days, it's an extra grace day. No scorecard, no evaluation. Wipe it off and go, tomorrow. Tomorrow. So that when you've finished your life, the sum total of it will be, you're one of those kind of people. And God knows it, and you know it, and the people closest to you, thank God, because you finally became one of those people. Let's get it today. Let's get it together, both personally and as a congregation that we can be those people who love God with all their heart. Pray with me, please.
Lord, it's odd that in a place this good with people this intelligent, we still cover the simplest aspects of faith. But it's because the human side keeps drawing us back to what we can do in our own strength, in our own minds, the scorecards we create. Today, Lord, we want to be done with those. And today, from the youngest to the oldest, from the person who doesn't quite get faith yet to the one who's been at it for 60 years, can we be those kind of people today? So we're asking your Holy Spirit to partner with our human spirit to show us how to do this, please.